Hey guys, and welcome back to Unknown Serial Killers. Thank you again for joining me. We're here to explore the minds of serial killers and what makes them tick. As always, viewers' discretion is advised because we're talking about murder, violence, and possible drug use. Without wasting time, let's jump right in. Benjamin Thomas Atkins was born on August 26, 1968 in Detroit, the younger of two sons. His family lived in a poor neighborhood and both of his parents were drug and alcohol abusers. Shortly after his birth, Tony's dad left the family. In 1970, Benjamin's mom abandoned him and he wound up in an orphanage where he spent his childhood and youth. While living there, he was physically assaulted by other children and at the age of 10 was raped by one of the employees. Over the next five years, he was continuously subjected to sexual harassment by other boys until he eventually escaped and reunited with his mother. For some time, he lived together with her and his older brother, but one day, Tony realized that his mother worked as a prostitute. Due to this, both Atkins and his brother saw her have sex with clients at the house on several occasions. Disgusted with his mother's actions, he left the house again in the late 1980s, living on the streets and doing drugs and eventually developing a drug addiction. Because he lacked formal education, Atkins was forced to work in a low-skilled labor jobs for low wages and spent the nights at homeless shelters. In his free time, he frequently placed inhibited by pimps and prostitutes, but was never arrested for any serious crimes. Most of his acquaintances claimed to be very fond of him, but at the same time noted that when drunk or on drugs, he showed signs of an antisocial personality. Atkins was arrested on rape charges on August 21st, 1992, after he was identified on a Detroit street by 34-year-old Darlene Saunders, who had been sodomized and raped by him on October 1991. He was questioned again, but denied any involvement claiming that he had no interest in women and was a homosexual. After further interrogations, the police officers familiarized him with the psychological portrait that had complied of the killer, which, after 12 hours, caused Tony admit to the murder of 11 women. He described in detail the appearance and clothing of the victims and even indicated the whereabouts of the 10th and 11th victim, 21-year-old Osina Waymore and 29-year-old Latanya Shawanda Smith. Their disappearances were not connected to the murders until Atkins confessed and the bodies were found on the indicated place that same day. During the interrogation, Atkins says that the motive for the murders was his views against girls and women engaged in prostitution. He stated that he lured his victims into abandoned houses by offering them drugs and alcohol in addition to paying for their sexual services. So his resentment towards prostitutes and prostitution stems from his mom because he saw her bringing random guys into the house and having sex with them. But it still doesn't give them him the right to take these people away from their family because of his personal views. Contrary to the official version of the investigation, Tony revealed that the first victim had actually been Patricia George, whom he killed in the fall of 1991. According to his testimony, he didn't plan on killing the woman, but simply planned to smoke crack cocaine with her. When she decided to leave him, he flew into a rage and killed her. In several cases, he was unable to explain why he committed the murders. This was the case with Hardy, with whom Benjamin had an intimate relationship. 
but after doing drugs together, he sodomized and strangled her for no apparent reason. So I feel like him doing drugs has a significant effect to his behavior. The trial began in January 1994. Around 150 people, including relatives of Atkins' victims, appeared as witnesses for the prosecution at the court hearing. At one of the hearings, Atkins readily confessed to the murders, but claimed to be insane. For the majority of the trial, he didn't react in any way to what was happening and appeared to be isolating himself from the proceeding. His lawyer demanded leniency towards his client on the grounds that Atkins had been abused as a child. According to the lawyer, the psychological trauma coupled with drug addiction eventually led him to mental, emotional, and behavioral problems. However, after a four-month trial and three days of deliberation, the jury found Benjamin Atkins guilty, and in April of that year, he was sentenced to several life imprisonment terms. After his conviction, Atkins was transferred to the Charles Egler Reception and Guidance Center in Jackson, but due to health issues, he was quickly transferred to Dwayne Waters Hospital, where he died on September 17, 1997, from an AIDS-related illness. He was 27 years old. So I really kind of feel sorry for him. He basically didn't have any guidance in his life. He didn't have parents that really cared for him. And so it led him to do this. I'm not saying what he did was right. And obviously it wasn't right. And he deserved his punishment. But it's just, he was just going going down such a dark road. Frank R. Davis. While at a juvenile detention center, Davis was sexually abused by one of the attendants and at least one other inmate. The courts later said the attack that Davis suffered from the following inmates was similar to how he assaulted one of his victims. On January 10, 1983, Davis confronted a 15-year-old boy at gunpoint, wrapped a wire around his neck, then forced him to perform oral sex. He then pistol whipped him unconscious. The boy would recover from the attack and identify Davis. On June 16, 1983, Davis confronted 14-year-old Darren Reed at night point after the two shared a beer. Davis wrapped a wire around Reed's neck, performed oral sex on him, and then strangled him to death. On June 18, 1983, two 15-year-old boys, including one named Jeff Lopez, were com- camping when they saw Davis in the woods. Davis was smoking marijuana and shared it with the teenagers. After the boys, he waited for them to go to sleep. Davis then went into their tent, woke up Lopez, and moved him into the woods at night point. He restrained the boy with wire, performed oral sex on him, then strangled him to death with the wire. He then returned to the other boy, tied him up with the wire, and performed oral sex on him before striking him in the head with an axe and leaving. The victim survived. Davis's two survivors identified him and he gave a full confession. He also confessed to the murders of 13-year-old Dwayne Bush on June 3, 1971. Bush had been kidnapped, sodomized, and strangled. Davis was charged two counts of murder for killing Reed and Lopez and two counts of attempted murder for the assaults on the surviving victims. He was convicted of all of the charges and sentenced to death for the two murders. Davis was also given two consecutive 50-year sentences for the two attempted murders. On December 8, 1993, his sentences for the two murder convictions were reduced to 60 years each. 
All of the sentences ran consecutively, leaving Davis with 220 years to serve in prison. He died in prison on January 2nd, January 22nd, 2008, at the age of 55. So guys, there you have it. When two people who had gone down a really bad path, had really horrible upbringings, and got raped and molested by other people they probably trusted, um, leads them to do things like this. And this is why I tell you guys to be nice to people because you never know who they kill because they could be lurking outside your window right now watching you as you do whatever it is that you're doing in your house. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. I hope you guys tune in for another Unknown Serial Killer next week. Thank you guys for joining. See you next week. Bye.